0: Greetings, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of 7 Figure Millennials, where together you and I are choosing to do things differently. We are choosing to prioritize our happiness Health and relationships while we build a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and build the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our turns. And if you are a first time listener or a seasoned listener, I always want to take the time to stop and tell you how much I appreciate you for being here and investing in yourself and taking time to expand and grow every single week. I am interviewing epic humans, making a beautiful impact in the world to support you to do the same. And I do my absolute best every single week to bring you what I call a real human. It stands for respectful, enthusiastic, appreciative, and loving. I love interviewing real humans because they are the ones that are making the meaningful difference in the world. And I invest a ton of time, energy, and effort into pulling out the best stuff from these guests for you so that you can go out and make some incredible impact yourself. And today's legendary leader of impact is David Siegel. So normally at this point, I would dive in and share three specific things I would want you to look out for in today's episode. And I will get to that, I promise. But before, I wanna tell you a quick story and give you some context and get you up to speed about this crazy journey that David has been on as the CEO of Meetup. So in 2017, WeWork bought Meetup for $156 million. Less than six months later, they were looking for a new CEO and that is where David stepped in. And at the time that David stepped in, Meetup was not in the best spot. The business had no revenue growth. It had gone from breaking even to losing tens of millions of dollars. Customers were churning at a crazy rate. And about a year later, WeWork attempted an IPO and failed epically and almost took down Meetup in the process, and lots of it was due to the CEO of Meetup.com, or sorry, the CEO of WeWork.com, Adam Newman, and he had some shady leadership practices. There's a whole documentary on it called WeWork: The Making and Breaking of a Forty-Seven Billion Dollar Unicorn, and they literally, as that title says, they went WeWork went from a forty-seven billion dollar valuation to near bankruptcy in just a few weeks. So. David is the CEO of meetup.com during the IPO failing of WeWork when Adam Neumann's kinda doing all this crazy stuff. And WeWork decides they wanna sell Meetup and they're having conversations with investors and then COVID hits, literally you can't make this up. So they saw Meetup events in person shrink in in COVID impacted countries by 20%, then 30%, then 50%, then 90% within a week and that was in the middle of negotiation for meetup and you can imagine the impact that that had on the investors <laughs> so david was on the team and the ceo navigating through all of this and ended up working with a team to eventually part ways with we work in a healthy way and despite the pandemic despite all that crazy stuff i just mentioned in the year since the sale meetup was cash flow positive every month after never seeing cash flow after never being cash flow positive in any month in the three years prior. So that is a little bit of context of this crazy story. Uh just because I saved some time with David not diving into that specifically, but now you hear the story. So now I can tell you what you can look forward to in today's episode. Number one, the story of David's interview with Adam Newman and why David literally went into a closet with a random WeWork employee and traded shirts with him. Number two, why David preaches that as the CEO, you make actually few decisions, but you can ensure that there is a right framework, timelines, checks, and balances to ensure that the right decisions ultimately get made. So we talk a ton about setting up systems that create more effective decisions. So instead of having to make a million decisions, if you're the founder of a company, how do you create the systems and structure that actually creates the decisions and creates the outcomes that you're looking for? And number three, I want you to look out for how David got 50 plus meetings with top global venture capital partners using a very simple email, very simple that you can follow. So I would highly recommend that you listen for that and you can open the door to some incredible relationships using exactly what David suggested so you already know that david is the ceo of meetup if you happen to not know what meetup is meetup has over 52 million members hosts 15,000 events daily and has events in 193 countries but of course david wasn't always the ceo of meetup and he has a long and impressive career and i'll just read some of the things that he's been in charge of but from 2015 to 2018 david was the ceo of investopedia the largest finance and investing education website he helped that business grow to 30 million unique visitors monthly. After tripling its revenue and driving a nearly five fold increase in its evaluation, David led the successful merger of Investopedia with Dot Dash. Uh, he was also the senior vice president of strategy and corporate development for 1 800 Flowers. He was also the GM and of new business at Dwayne Reed a whole bunch of crazy stuff. And he also holds a BA in philosophy, politics, and economics from the University of Pennsylvania, and an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania as well. So now you have some context on David. And one small thing that I wanna say before I introduce you to him is if you are listening to this sequentially, or if you happen to be listening to this years in the future, and you haven't already listened to episode 100 of the show, this is coming out shortly after that, and I made some massively positive changes and excited things And I actually took the time to go back over the first 100 episodes that I produced and come up with the best, most juiciest commonalities of all these incredible humans that I get the opportunity of interviewing. So I would not only encourage you to check it out for the valuable content, but also so that you're informed and have the lens of what I'm doing moving forward. Okay, so that is it. Normally, I have a much shorter introduction than this, but I'm super excited to introduce you to my brand new friend, David Siegel. You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. David, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend. This is going to be a blast.
1: Can't wait. So excited. Let's do it.
0: All right. So I want to dive right in with a story that's going to give a little a bit of flavor about you and the, the situation that you're in running into this, being the CEO of Meetup. So I would love to start with the story of you walk into... We work, and you end up trading shirts with someone. Can you give the context behind this and why you were doing that, and what it led to?
1: <laughs> you just jump right in there with me taking a shirt off. Here we go.
0: <laughs> hey, actually, we started beforehand. You switched to your Meetup shirt, mm-hmm. so there's some parallel here. Ooh, before ooh, you... Nice, <laughs> good call,
1: good call. Okay, so I have already had a first interview with Adam Newman, and he liked me, but he didn't necessarily like me enough to say, "Okay, this is the guy who I'm going to hire to be the next CEO of Meetup, the company that I just spent over $160 million for. We have to have a great CEO. So he was like, you know, somewhat sold. So I said, okay, I got to do something to really separate. I got to do something to really stand out because he's talking to people who are leaders in Facebook and leaders in YouTube, leaders in like the best companies. So I walked into the office and I was wearing like my nice white button down shirt, Brooks Brothers shirt. And I walked in and I saw someone at the corner of my eye wearing a t-shirt and the t-shirt said, Meetup plus we work equals like awesome. So I was like, oh my God, I have to go into this interview with Adam wearing this Meetup Plus WeWork shirt because who does that? Like who wears you know the T-shirt of a company when they're not even at the company yet and gets the shirt off of someone's back. And it would just be a great story. And the key is, it's the kind of thing that Adam Newman would do himself. <laughs> and People like to hire people like themselves. So if you're able to mirror someone while you're interviewing them, getting through, it's great. So I walked up to this guy and they say, hey, I know this sounds crazy, but there's a supply closet over there. Can we walk into the supply closet together? I'll take off my shirt. You take off your shirt. We'll switch shirts. And that way I could just kind of shock Adam Newman with, with this thing and, you know, it'll see what happens. So he's like, okay, your shirt costs 100 bucks. I got mine for free, so seems good We're same size. So I um, swapped shirts, um, walked into Adam's office. He immediately sees me and he's like, oh my God, where did you get that from? And I said, you know, (laughs) I was able to get the shirt off of someone's back. And you know, the, the famous term, like, if you can get the shirt off of someone's back, then you can probably sell them on anything. So he's like, that's it. You're the right guy, right person for me.
0: 100%. I, I love that. I can just imagine that the reaction to the face that the guy made was like, you want to do what right now? <laughs> but it ended up working out for you. So I love that because it kind of sets the tone for many of the places I want to go in this conversation. But so that, that context came from you entering your role at Meetup. I want to start. Uh, I want to do another story that's actually before your time at meetup. And because I think it's a really applicable for anybody that is looking to be bold as one of your main things that you do and create opportunities for yourself. So this story I came across earlier was when you ended up landing your position at Dwayne Reed. So you, you ended up kind of like creating a position for yourself. Uh, so I would love for you to kind of share how you were able to do that. Cause I thought that was brilliant as well.
1: Okay, creating the position and then uh, what ended happened when I was in the position, we could handle later on as well. Sure. So I was in business school at the time and uh, in business school, most people tend to go through the typical standard recruiting process and all these big consulting firms came to warden, all the big investment banks came to warden and I worked in consulting. I said, no way, I'm not going back to consulting. Do not want to work in investment banking. I need to find a different path. So I ended up deciding to reach out to. Could you not? Send I sent 2,000 different emails out to about the CEOs and the C level executive for 50 different companies. So it was about 40 emails per company, all these different companies I had been interested in JetBlue and 100 Flowers and, and, uh, and Dwayne Reed, which is a big pharmacy chain in New York. And he sent them all out individual notes saying, Hey, I want to become an assistant to the CEO, I want to kind of advise and help and work with PowerPoint decks and board meetings, et cetera. And I got a bunch of interesting conversations, including with Dwayne Reed. And I ended up getting uh, no opportunity except for four different consulting jobs, again, one of them being at BCG, which I ended up accepting the job at BCG, Boston Consulting Group. But BCG gave me a start date that was going to be in six months after I graduated. So I had already a kid. I couldn't afford to just not work for six months. So I went back to Dwayne Reed and I said, hey, can I just be an intern for you for six months and see what ends up happening um, in uh, you know over that period of time? So I, 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 they said yes. And I built a new uh, business model really around pharmacy called Dwayne Reed Express, which I can go into detail another time. I won't do that here. And uh, at the end of six months, this might be the story you're referring to i'm not sure the boston consulting group partner calls me up he says we're looking forward to you joining and dwayne Reed had said hey we want you to join full-time after the internship and i said you know i decided i'm going to have to kind of resend my acceptance at at bcg and he said how could you do that how could you resend your acceptance we're the one top one of the top consulting firms in the world i can't believe you would do that you're never going to work in consulting again so I said, he said, where are you going to go? I'm like, I said, I'm going to go to a $2 billion pharmacy chain, um, the largest in kind of the New York metro area. And he said, long pause. And he goes, do you feel bad enough that you could possibly give us some additional business? <laughs> and that's how we ended up getting the job at Duane of which I worked there for three years building a new business for them as director of business development.
0: I love that. There's so many reasons why I love that. One, because you created the opportunity for yourself. You didn't, you didn't wait for there to be some magical position as you knew what you wanted and you wanted experience learning directly from a CEO. And you were able to shortcut years of trial and error by going directly to those people and learning side by side from that. I love that. And the other thing that I highlighted from this section, when you talked about this in the book is like you said, I have never gotten a job that I was an ideal candidate for. So I love that you were pushing the boundaries and being uncomfortable because somebody that might be listening and hear that story is like, wow, that was kind of ballsy. But at the same time, like that's where the best opportunities come from is when you shoot for hire or you shoot for those big connections. And that's where the magic has come from. And it was cool to see how that manifested later in your story of some of those relationships that you built earlier on. Those people came, your advisors and all that great stuff. So I love that.
1: 1000%, you know, imposter syndrome is such an enormous challenge for everyone, men, women, young older it's such a big problem and it keeps people that fear keeps people from forging their own path and being bold and doing things that they never thought they were capable of doing and then they end up just following the same path as everyone else and you follow the same path as everyone else you end up kind of happy most sometimes unhappy kind of waiting for your work day to end you got to forge your path you got to figure out what, what's right for you and for me I had learned so much from my mentors when I was at DoubleClick and other places and and kind of people that I said, the best way to becoming a CEO is to become an assistant to the CEO and to learn about what a CEO actually does. And that would kind of forge me on a path. I've had seven jobs, I think, in my career, and I've never applied for a job that had ever existed in all seven jobs. <laughs> I love that.
0: So there you go. There's something for you to think about as, as someone that's hanging out with us today. It's like who is exactly where you want to be? And how can you learn directly from that? That one question completely transformed things for me as well, because I found a successful podcaster, somebody that was running a successful business. And I just reached out to him and I ended up running his marketing for three years. And it just transformed everything for me. So I just I love that we had that commonality. And I just think it's such a brilliant way of thinking about things. So, so so far, people have a little bit of context about you, they know that you're bold, you're willing to switch shirts with people. It's a and you, you've landed some pretty awesome positions. Um, so people also probably have some context on meetup. And there's a good chance that if you're listening to this, you've attended a meetup event or at least nobody's somebody that has. Um, but I would love for you to paint a little bit of the picture about like why meetup is so relevant and critical in the world right now. And I, I highlighted something from the book. It's like you said it, that you've heard dozens of therapists say that they prescribe attending meetup events before prescribing medication. And in today's world where we're so lonely, where we're craving connection more than ever, I would venture to say that the pandemic was a blessing in disguise in many ways for you guys, because people are just seeing how relevant this is. So I would love for you to share a little bit about like why this is so important and some of the vision that you have for Meetup right now.
1: Woo! I love it Brandon, spoken like a true Meetup. You're bleeding Meetup red, I love it. So Meetup is the world's largest platform for finding and building community. Our mission is nothing less than curing the loneliness epidemic. Give you some stats. 46% of people, not sometimes, not occasionally, but regularly feel lonely. And that's just a terrifying statistic. Another one, 25% of people don't even have one, not one trusted confidant in the entire world to be able to go to. And here's the thing, among people who may be younger, millennials in this audience, et cetera, people who are Gen Zers, 62% are regularly lonely. And the younger that you are, the more lonely that oftentimes people people are as well. And loneliness is so devastating. It's correlated highly to anxiety, to depression, God forbid a million times to like self-harm or anything anything of that ilk. Meetup's goal is we have about 300,000 communities in 193 different countries around the world. Everything from a hiking group, to a playing Monopoly group, to playing board games, to learning tech, to people who love podcasting to people who love listening to podcasts kind of uh, every single people of horror films every single thing you could possibly think of is on the meetup app and there's a meetup group and a community for that we have these 300 people um communities and we have 60 million people and we help anyone who downloads the app or goes on our website to find their people find people that share their passions that share their identities and hopefully make the world a better place but you know we're scratching the surface we should we have 60 million we should have 6 billion and, um, but it, from a meaning standpoint, it gives tremendous meaning to my life. I'm so deeply lucky to be involved in a company whose entire goal is helping people to build connections and, you know, through our 20 year history, we have now built over a half a billion connections between people and it's something that we measure regularly.
0: That's beautiful. I got I got uh goosebumps. I've shown David my goosebumps, but it's it's so cool cuz I know you you've created marriages, you've brought people together. Later literally later today I'm going to go play spike ball. That's my thing. I'm a huge spike ball player. And I literally searched earlier because I knew we were talking today. I was like, is there a spike ball meetup? And there isn't. So maybe that is a sign that I have to be the one that creates it for, for my yeah. area. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so So I love it. And just the relationships that you're helping people build is just so important. So I appreciate you sharing that. I would love to kind of also... If if you could share like your favorite meetup story, like a singular story. So I'm going to buy you a little bit of time just so you can think about it. But like another company that I know has these crazy stories is someone like um, Zappos, like Tony Shea. he talks about like he brought his clients to a bar once and they they wanted to get pizza afterward, but everyone is closed and he dared the people he was with to call uh, the Zappos customer service line, and they were able to get pizza delivered to them. So it's like, you know, I feel like Meetup is one of those companies that has those crazy stories because of what you end up creating. So, do you have a favorite Meetup story that you could yeah. share with us that of someone's life okay. from it? I,
1: I, it's like asking my, like, who, my favorite child. Like, you know, I got a <laughs> bunch of Meetup stories here, sure. but I'll just share a, a, a short, two short ones. Okay, sure. So the first one is just our founding story, and uh, you know how a company's founded, how it builds its DNA. It, the moment of conception. It's just so relevant. Meetup was founded because our founder Scott Heiferman, you know, 20 years ago, the day of September 11th, 2001, that that horrible, tragic day, he was downstairs in his lobby. And he, everyone was in a state of fog. Everyone was in a state of confusion and, and fear. And, and no one knew what was happening, really. It was, we, we didn't know if there was going to be attacked by hundreds of planes. No one knew what was happening. And everyone's down and, and trying to help each other, comfort each other, walks over to a person. He says, hey, what floor do you live on? And he found out he, that person lives on the same floor, the fifth floor that, he, that Scott lived on. He another person also lived on the same floor. And he's like, it shouldn't take tragedy to help us to build community. How can we build community? How can we build a platform to build community for people, not because of tragedy, not because only of terrible tragic things like how how you know the the, the you know the, the 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 how Black Lives Matter was such an important thing in the tragedy that happened you know previously a couple of years ago, the tragedy of 9/11, different tragedies. How can we build community around kind of? shared interests. So that's the founding of Mita was due to 9-11. On the other side, you know, tell the story of um, Omar Acosta, who lives in Fort Worth, Texas, who was, became, unfortunately, just obsessed with playing video games. And he was playing video games 12, 14 hours a day, uh, just didn't get up off of his couch, was, was cl- clinically kind of depressed. His parents were scared about him. His brother was worried about him. His brother called him up, kind of went to his helm, yanked him out. And he said, you used to enjoy rock climbing. Please just come with me to this rock climbing group. I know you're scared. I know you're not comfortable meeting people. I know you're an extreme introvert. He goes to the group after lots of coaxing. He had a fine time. He was a little scared, but then he went back a second time. By the time he we went a third time, the organizer said, Hey, you're really good at rock climbing. Can you become the new organizer for the Fort, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas? Rock climbing group. He's like, I've never been a leader of anything in my entire life. I've never led anything ever. I'm a total introvert. He said, Fine, I'll do it. Since that time, they've had a thousand events. And he just told me that the sixth wedding, it's not even a single group, (laughs) sixth wedding, he's now going to a sixth wedding because of this event. And we've had people that were homeless that attribute getting out of homelessness. Because of going to different meetup events, people there's there's could be thousands of people named meetup because there are people that serendipitously like meet their significant others, not even having to do with with meetup, but because they're doing something else. So, you know, we're very fortunate that when people get together, whether professionally and then and then amazing personal things can happen or personally and professional things can happen, and work things can happen through getting personally. It's just the serendipity that happens through just getting out and doing things and saying, yes, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna play Spikeball, and who knows what's gonna happen, but I know the more is gonna happen if I go out and play Spikeball, than probably if I sit around and watch more Netflix
0: hundred percent. I love that story so much. And it just alludes to the power of everything that you guys are doing. And I think something that came to mind as you we were talking is there was like a study that was like the the chemistry that happens, like a bonding that happens when you do a physical activity together, yeah. like something where there's adrenaline pumping. So maybe that's some of the magic why that rock climbing group had six weddings is because they were shedding their blood, sweat, and tears together. <laughs> the, <laughs> are
1: running, the oxytocin, <laughs> the dopamine, all those positive things are happening to people when you're in person, when you're exercising, you know, again, you gave the example, you know, sometimes if someone, if so, you know, there are many different things that medication is, is, could be very, very important, but going out, exercising, meeting people, building community, those things are not necessary in lieu of medication therapy. They're certainly very important from a supplement standpoint for anyone who's going for anything, find a meetup group and it could help.
0: Love that. So now people have contacts on you. They have contacts on meetup and they heard from the intro that your time at meetup was not all sunshine and rainbows. You've had, you've had, I, this is one of the first nonfiction books that I've read in a while where like, I was reading it towards the end. Like, is this, is this real? Like, did this really happen? So it's just kind of crazy that, and I, I love the way well, that you well, share the book.
1: So. <laughs> I mean, decide and conquer, you know, the book, it, it's almost like it, the truth is more crazy than anything you can make up
0: so 100%.
1: you know it's that and we work helps in that endeavor because if anyone watched we crashed or or you know saw the hulu documentary it's like the craziness you can't even make that stuff up
0: a hundred percent so um i will just before we dive into it if somebody is interested right now i have it on amazon decide and conquer 44 decisions that will make or break all leaders where can people find out about it and then um we'll obviously dive into it but just yeah. before we get move forward
1: i mean we have an Audible and the Audible is great for people like like um, listening to books or a Kindle version as well. But Amazon is great. And you can get any bookseller. Barnes & Noble, every Barnes & Noble also has a copy of it. And uh, uh, so far it's been fun.
0: Love it, love it. So, and I, I highly endorse it, encourage everybody to go listen to it. So I want, I, not to summarize your book, but I just want to give everybody some context on it. So what I loved about it is that it was laid out very, I've not never seen a book laid out in terms of the decisions that you had to make. So the book covers 44 critical challenges that he that, that David faced during meetup and it comes in different timelines of how he navigated them. But what is so cool about this is that the whole goal of the book is to help you, you listening, make decisions easier and better based on the crazy journey that David had. So uh, what I was hoping to do for the rest of our time, David, is I picked out some of my favorite stories, favorite lessons that will guide some more effective decisions. So we can kind of go through some of those if that's cool for you. Let's do it. Sweet. All right. So um, I figured, it, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the one question or the one thing that would, you know, if somebody had one takeaway from this entire thing would probably be this, unless you, you guess other, say otherwise, but all throughout your book, you're always alluding to establishing the core values and mission of the company. I have this as a quote from your book, establishing, I'll skip right here. The, the, uh, establishing the strategic financial and management processes that guide decision making. This is one big deal, and an area that most CEOs pay less attention to than they should. As a CEO, you should actually make few actual decisions, but you can ensure that there is the right framework, timelines, checks and balances to ensure that the right decisions ultimately get made. So I love that because the the roots of the word decision is literally to cut off from. So by setting up the right Frameworks, you actually solve a bajillion problems down the line. So, I would love for you to share a little bit about maybe we can start with core values and we can go to some of the other stuff. But maybe if you could talk to a little bit about what the core value situation was like when you walked into Meetup and how you began to reframe that and think about establishing the core values for the company
1: amazing okay great and by the way deprioritization is more important than prioritization and too often people are just keep wanting to prioritize 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 you know and and not like say what are you not going to do and you're right decision making is oftentimes about saying what you're not going to do to cut things off from you and i love that that call out so meetup was a very unique culture in that when i joined the culture was incredibly mission-oriented which was good Um, everyone believed in the power of connections and the ability for um, the world to be a better place because of getting together and how community can help people. The challenge was a couple of things. One was that people were kind of a very like a nonprofit kind of mentality of saying that, you know, financial gain, revenue, profit, you know, bad um, and, and helping people good. They didn't understand the fact that in order to be a sustainable business, you have to be a sustainable company. In order for the company to be able to help others, we have to make sure that we're effective ourselves. So when I came in, the company was losing $18 million a year. The, the number of people that were as part of the company were just ballooned out to double or triple the number of people from a couple of years prior, and we were at risk of not being able to help people because we wouldn't even be able to exist because we were losing so much money. So one challenge was that there was a lack of financial discipline and there was just an an entire focus on doing good rather than making sure that we're a company that could be self-sustaining and and, and, and valuable. In addition to that, uh, our founder um, uh, chose a lot of different values. At one point we had... I think it was like 24 different values in the company and no one can remember what values were actually important and not important and you can't have 24 values in a company that's kind of ridiculous that's not a way to run something so we ran a six-month process to figure out what's the real core values of the company and we came up with six core values and i'll share the six core values with you right now and that's the basis for all decision making who we hire who we fire who we promote how people are are, are, are co- uh, increased co- compensation. So the six values are the following six. And for those that have the book at home, it's page 104, here we go. So the six are number one, trust and transparency. The best way to build a company is to build trust for your employees. And the best way to have trust is through being as transparent as possible, sharing the good, the bad and the ugly, not just sharing the good, but to share everything, share financial, share everything, that's one. Second is focusing on impact. You can't have an impact, If you don't focus, you try to do a million different things at once, entrepreneurs know it's really tough to succeed and ultimately you're about impact. Number three, invite change. Don't just like accept change. Don't just let change happen to you. Don't be begrudging about change. How can I invite change proactively to have great things happen? Number four, stepping up. Don't just care about what your job description is, but figure out how do I work outside of my job description. How do I do things that step up to the next level? We even give out a step up reward for people, um, so, so that when they, when, so each month when someone who's the biggest person that steps up. Number five, in no particular order, is elevating people. Everything happens through people. Smart decisions are people. Built products are built because of people. Everything happens because of people. It's about elevating people. And Last but definitely not least is leading with integrity which needs to underpin everything that we do so those six values are not just on the wall they're like everywhere surrounding all decision making for the company
0: i just want to highlight a few things that david said that i think is so important not to miss he said the word six months. It took them six months to communicate with everyone and get this set. And like, obviously you just whipped it out. You just listened to it. And yeah, Meetup is awesome. Maybe those aren't your values. Maybe they don't resonate with you. And that's what the the value of having core values is. It, It attracts people and it repels certain people. But I think it is so powerful. And as you were, as I was reading this, it reminded me, I had a good buddy, John Broman, that came on the show. And he recommended this book called The Core Value Equation. I haven't read it, but it was just a reminder that, It's so powerful to have these core tenants that guide all of your decision making. Instead of making a bajillion micro decisions, you can go back to these core things that drive everything else. And so I just hope that as you listen to that, one, it was inspirational for you. But two, what are the even if it's not for your company? Like this is something that I'm I want to work on with my wife in the coming years. Like, what are the core values values of our family? Yeah, personal values. Like these are things that as you have friendships that are coming and going in your life, that you have you know, something that comes up as you're uh, a parent, you know, like not a parent yet, but that's something I know is gonna be really important is establishing those core values because when your kid's acting up, you, instead of, com- you know, correcting the micro behavior, you can go back to those values that you share as a family. family. So I just, thank you so much for sharing that. And I love that you were able to r- unite everyone underneath that same front. And um, obviously it did a very good job for you guys.
1: And by the way, Brandon, the other thing I did is I didn't dictate them. We had a committee, made up of junior people a couple years out of college, mid-level people, some senior executives, collaborated together, had dozens of meetings, hundreds of hours, and previewed it with many different people. And ultimately, a value system is never something that could be directed top-down. Many people, when I first joined Meetup said, what are the core values going to be? And I said, no, we need to live in this world for a little bit. We need to get to know each other a little bit. And it took six months after we started. We didn't start for six months after I started even. So it took a full year until we actually made that jump because I said it's it's too important to rush. There are other things that we could rush. Strategy of a company, we could even rush. We have to make sure that our core values and our mission are something that takes time. We do that in, in an empowered way, not in a direct way.
0: I love that. Yeah. Uh, so good. So this, this leads me naturally to another spot that i i'm i've never heard i was i was i will say i was surprised to find this in the book because my perception of a company that is, has had hundred plus employees is that you're setting really long-term goals and you're, you know, the bigger you are, the bigger, the goals you can set, which is true in some ways, but it was cool to see that your philosophy is more around like, let's get the core values mission together, but then use iterative planning and like small chunks of work to actually get clearer and clearer as you move forward. So I would love for you to share a little bit about your philosophy of iterative planning and, and how that bridges with the core values and the mission and everything.
1: Yeah, so I'm obsessed with the Lean Startup methodology. If anyone here has not read Lean Startup that's listening, it's better than my book. Read Lean Startup. (laughs) It's a really, really important book. And the general principle around Lean Startup or building an MVP, a minimum viable product, or I could say even MVD, minimum viable decision, is to make a decision to roll something out, a new product feature, whatever it happens to be, and then get feedback and then be quickly willing to iterate. Don't take many months to figure something out. Don't create these long-term plans that are three years long, five years long, etc. The goal is learning and maximizing learning. And the way you're going to learn is not by putting some documents together around strategy. The way you're going to learn is by getting product out to market, by having it be ugly, having it maybe be, even be embarrassing a little bit, maybe failing and be comfortable failing but learning as quickly as possible. So my general philosophy in running a company is our goal is to maximize learning. We don't point fingers if we made a mistake. We look at every single mistake as an opportunity to then iterate and get better. And we need to keep questioning ourselves about whether or not we're comfortable kind of pivoting and making meaningful changes and not just stuck in like status quo bias, but really living our mission, speaking of that earlier, and our our value of inviting change and saying, What changes do we have to make? We don't want to whipsaw around, but we want to basically make sure we're constantly listening to what's working and what's not. Hmm.
0: I love that so much. And uh, super, super valuable just to think about the, the, like, uh, just I'll give an example of like the way that I apply this, maybe a way that somebody could think about this. I work in two week sprints, like at the end of every week, like I have another plan, another priority, but it's, and then I have monthly revisions and quarterly revisions that I go to that. But like, I think it's so valuable to, have the processes in place to say this is the time frame that we're going to work on, and let's revisit and like iterate as quickly as possible. So I found that to be
1: super valuable for myself. And Brent, I would say another key principle is the debrief. Too often people are running constantly. Two weeks from two weeks from two, two, two weeks. The key is learning. So at the end of all of our lead team meetings, our executive team, at the end, we save the last five minutes of every meeting, saying let's debrief. On what went well? What didn't go well in today's conversation? What worked? What didn't work? So at the end of each two week sprint, let's make sure you're spending time and other people are spending time and what went well this past two weeks? What didn't go well? What can I learn from it in terms of planning my next one? But planning, like you said, in smaller increments and then being as reflective as possible so, so that you then plan that next increment even more successfully and you learn each time.
0: Yeah, and I know you're a huge fan of gratitude as well. I had um, uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy on the show and he wrote a book with Dan Sullivan called The Gain Versus the Gap. And it's like success and happiness is uh, a huge function of how you measure, right? Are you measuring how much further you have to go or are you measuring how far, far you came? You know. So I think that's a huge part of that process is, yes, moving forward and figuring out what you learned, but being grateful and making sure that you're looking back and seeing all that you accomplished. I am surprised every two weeks when I look back and just write down the wins that I had. It's like you just forget. You literally forget unless you have a process in place. So I love that you've implemented that company-wide as yeah. one of the main things you do.
1: You know, gratitude journaling is very, very important and very psychologically healthy. You know, and my first my favorite page of someone ever asked me of my book is actually the last section of the book where I got rid of the acknowledgment section. I said acknowledgments are transactional. We don't care about transactions. We care about gratitude. And gratitude is the basis for happiness because ultimately the lens that you look through everything determines your happiness. So it's it's so important. I'm glad you mentioned it.
0: Mm, okay, so you naturally led me here. I didn't know if I would go here, but I'm a, I want to jump to that gratitude section because I sure. read that. Like most people, when they read a book, they don't read the acknowledgments. <laughs> I read those, especially as an interviewer. It's a spot for gold. Uh, so I want to go into Elliot. Um, so I know this is going to be like kind of an interesting spot, but oh, like you- I love it. I love so it, you, yeah. you You talk about in your book about building a public board of advisors and over the years you've built- a board of advisors for yourself that, that called and helped you. And then, um, you know, we talked about you cold outreaching to people and building relationships and it comes full circle. So I would love for you to tell a little bit about Elliot and your relationship with him and, and about a public board of advisors.
1: Oh, Brandon, I can't wait for Elliot to hear this. So I will share it with him. So I was just, you know, whatever, sitting at home and I receive uh, a, a, an email um, from some random person and no idea who the person is. And he said something like, I've done a lot of research on you. I've watched a couple of videos about you talking and what you're doing. And can you be my mentor, basically? Can I learn something from you? I was so blown away by the thoughtfulness and the details and time that he put into crafting this email. You know, sometimes I'll get together for lunch with someone. They're like, "So, what do you do again?" I'm like, "Really? You couldn't just look at what Meetup? What does Meetup do again?" I'm like, "Really? The amount of research blew me away." So, so I was like, "You know, what? I'm gonna take a call from this young guy. What the hell?" Because I was just amazed by what he wrote. In fact, I even forwarded to a bunch of younger people that I know. And I said, look at this email. This is how <laughs> you get what you want if you write if you write an email like this. So he wrote the email. I, I, I talked to him on the phone. And as we were in the course of talking, he's like, oh, so what are you working on? I'm like, oh, I'm actually writing a book. He goes, oh, you know, I once edited a book. So I'm like, really? He said, I would love to just look at your manuscript and happy to give you feedback. It ended up that he read my entire book put in like hundreds of pieces of area and feedback, not even paying him anything or anything like that. We then iterated back and forth. I mean, whatever he wants for the rest of his life, <laughs> I am in debt to this whatever, 24, 25 year old person. I went to LA and I was crazy busy schedule. He's based in LA and I said, my top priority is to get together with you in person because we did all of this via Zoom. And, and let's just say that from a complete cold outreach, it turned into a depth of relationship that he will have and I will have for the rest of our lives. That's the story of Elliot.
0: That's so beautiful. Oh, there's so so much I want to say there, but uh, well, first of all, Elliot, hi. Since hopefully David is sending this <laughs> to you, uh, I really appreciate you doing that. And I just like think from your perspective, not you, Elliot, but like everyone, think about the value of that relationship. Like. David's a relatively well-connected guy. (laughs) He's the CEO of a company called Meetup. Like he knows all these people, but like showing up the way Elliot showed up, providing value, not asking for something in return. I mean, clearly a mentorship kind of relationship came from it but he led with value first thought about it from david's perspective the value that he could add and i think that's a huge fallacy as as young people you think oh i can't add value to someone like david i can't do this kind of stuff but look at the value that elliot was able to provide to david because david didn't have time to do those kinds of things and all that happened as a result of that so i
1: I gotta riff on this one please riff jack welch who was the ceo of general electric when he left general electric it was the highest market cap company in the world. I talked about it in the book in my meeting with him. But this is actually, aside from that, Jack Welch mentored many people. But when the internet was first coming out in the early 90s, he said, I need a mentor. Who did he ask for mentor? A 22-year-old, a 23-year-old, 24-year-old. He's like, I need to learn how this internet thing works. There's so much value that I teach teach at Columbia and I have 70 students a semester and they're 23, 24 hours, and they constantly will say the same thing to me, which is, David, how can I help someone else out? How does it not just be a one-sided relationship? And I said, there's so many ways that people in their late 40s, like I am 50s, 60s, 30s even, want to stay relevant and stay connected to what's happening in technology, stay connected to what's happening in terms of trends, et cetera. You could help us, you could help us to be able to do that. Also, people love giving advice and the number of people that you could maybe help give uh, advice on on, uh, people that we could hire as a company, bottom line is young people, less experienced people can add tremendous value to people who are CEOs of companies, have the confidence, to be able to do that and great things can happen just like yeah. Elliot just like so many others.
0: 100%. I'm just going to riff on your riff really quickly cuz I love giving people stuff that people can actually apply. Here is how I generally think about cuz I built my relationships leveraging this to begin with. But like here's an email that you could potentially send to someone like David. The first part is all about a compliment like you want to show that you actually did the research like david was said like you actually showed hey david i listened to the episode on seven figure blunt it was a Brandon. i love the story of you walking into the closet and and how you leverage that into an opportunity to to work with meetup there's no way that david would receive that email and know that you didn't actually take the time to listen and find out what he's doing right so it's about him first next part is the value that you can add And in, in elliot's case he knew that david was writing a book and he could add value that way the first email i ever sent was to a guy and i was like hey I went through your whole website. I found out three specific projects I'd love to help you with. And I put together a doc with some more information on it. And then the last thing that you ask is very simple. It's 100% up to you, but would you be opposed to me sending over next steps for me to do X, Y, Z, right? Very simple, straight to the point. David gets hundreds of emails a day. All these people are getting hundreds of emails a day. But if you show that you care, you show that you have something you can add value with and you end with a clear call to action with a question, you'll open doors. So uh, just wanted to toss that in right there because I think it's super, super valuable. (laughs) Quick riff on your riff on
1: my riff on your riff. (laughs) And last one I'm going to say, I swear, even if you riff on this one, is to say people love giving advice people like helping people i love helping people and if people say to me can i just get your advice on a very specific thing then if it's broad advice not help i'm not interested i have a specific problem i like your specific advice and here's why i'm going to you for advice frequently people love giving advice so frame things also advice and good things can happen
0: okay so you led me right there so you needed to sell we work uh so obviously if somebody's read the book you'll hear the whole context on how crazy this is so like (laughs) WeWork is acquired or, or sorry, sorry. I said WeWork. I'm at Meetup. So, so WeWork bought Meetup for $156 million a couple of years ago. All this craziness happens and they're trying to get rid of it. So you are put on the line for trying to figure out how to sell Meetup to a new investor. And you actually use this exact strategy that you're talking about for advice. So tell us that story and some of those emails you sent and where it took
1: you. Oh boy. Okay. So I, I remember I got a call, um, from the president of WeWork and, and Artie Minson. And he said to me, Hey, David, even though we're looking to now sell WeWork and it was crazy how we found out about it. I won't, I won't tell that story, but, but for later, for if you read the book, you'll hear. Um, <laughs> Artie, Artie Minson said, David, do you know anyone that could potentially be an acquirer of, of meetup? And, and I said, Sure. Let me think about it, and I decided I would start reaching out to some people. And then it was like a complicated situation because, on the one hand, my job was to sell Meetup to whomever WeWork asked me to sell Meetup to, and I was taking all these meetings. A lot of those meetings were, were, went like this: um, the acquirer said to said to me, "David, um, if we acquire Meetup, we'll probably fire you and fire the entire executive team and gut the company. Now, tell us all the reasons why we should acquire Meetup." I was like, uh <laughs> because like they're asking me to basically destroy the company potentially, but they're also the people who, you know, who I report into where I get a paycheck from, which is We Work. So I said, okay, stop thinking like a CEO of Meetup and start thinking like a real founder, a real entrepreneur. And I decided to just go crazy and try to find the right owners of Meetups future because I was so terrified that someone would come in and destroy the company. In the span of two months, I did the same thing that I did 20 years prior in trying to find a job. I reached out to like 100, 200 plus different venture capital firms or private equity firms and different companies to um, make a bid on Meetup. And I was working like 18 hour days. I mean, it was gonna for a short period of time, so it was very manageable. And I had this goal. I said, I need to find, I don't care as much about myself. I need to find a great future owner of Meetup because our mission and what we do is just too important. At, at certain points, there was different famous people like Bill Ackman who had almost acquired Meetup and other people, but there came a point when the pandemic hit and we were about to potentially get shut down even by WeWork because we we're losing tens of millions of dollars. And I went to a person who is my mentor for 20 plus years, a guy named Kevin Ryan. Who was the ceo of DoubleClick, which was my one of my first jobs out of out of college i got to know him back in 1998 and i had always been asking him for advice on different people to potentially acquire the company just he was he was been my mentor for 20 plus years asking for advice on this company and this person what i should do at a certain point i said is there anything that can happen for you to potentially acquire the company and he said well you know let me know if the price ever becomes attractive enough and because of the pandemic and everything kind of falling apart I was able to, we were to agree to a price that was a tiny fraction of the original $156 million spent. Kevin then spent more personal money of his than any other acquisition he ever made and did less due diligence on the acquisition. He said, I've known you for 20 years, I trust you, let's do it, let's acquire the company. And that was two and a half years ago. We have an amazing relationship. We turned the profit of the company from losing $18.5 million to, three, to, to making $3 million from during a pandemic. In, in 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 uh from 19, 2019 to 2020 and um you know it was all based on that past relationship they ha- we had and the trust that we had for each other and the ability to be bold and not to say i'm just going to wait for things to happen to me and hopefully make the best of it to say i am the owner of my future destiny i am not just going to sit back and have one of the most important things in my life kind of be dictated to me i need to play an active role in figuring this out and I think with that mentality and then a, a whole host of uh, chutzpah, shall we say, if you know the word, um, it ended up working out well.
0: I had a mentor tell me when I was 16 years old, she gave me this one line that changed everything for me. And it was, if you ask for money, you get advice. If you ask for advice, you get money. And I heard that. I didn't really understand what it meant at the time, but then she showed me what it meant. And your story illustrates that so perfectly of just building I think the one thing I will add to it, though, it's like you have to ask for advice, but you have to be really genuine in your gratitude for the time and the, the investment that they give you in that advice. And it, and it clearly that was what happened with your relationship right there. It's like you were taking what he was sharing with you. He was investing in you and you were implementing it. You were being grateful for it. And like it turned into a 20 plus year relationship where he ended up investing. So I love that. I want to zoom in a little, little bit in on one of the details there because I thought it was sure. so juicy. I have it highlighted it is these actual emails that you were sending when you were trying to get a buyer for meetup, like you you ended up getting meetings with incredibly successful investors, all this stuff from like a very simple email that was based on this premise of asking for advice. So for anybody that, is looking to build their relationships, or maybe looking for jobs or informational interviews, or you're in a crazy situation like David where you need to sell a company. <laughs> like, I thought this would be really cool. So, would you mind sharing that specific email approach that that you were using to build those relationships?
1: Oh man, I didn't memorize it. What page is it? Do you have a page for me? No, it's, it's, it wasn't a memo. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. So I, I have it. So, um, yeah, basically, Thank yeah, a hundred percent. So I, I shouldn't have asked that so messy. So I apologize for that, but That's basically okay. That's I, okay. I have it here. We work bought meetup for a hundred. This is the email. We work. Oh, yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Do yeah. you got yeah. it? Or do
0: you want me to go for it?
1: I, you 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 say it, please. Okay.
0: So this is the, this is the email it's so brilliant. We work bought meetup for $156 million a couple of years ago. We now have 15% more revenue. And I was told from WeWork's board that they would approve a $30 million offer to close quickly. What it advice would you give me on how to secure an investment group as quickly as
1: possible so maybe Ooh, talk that was good. okay yeah. I'll tell you some of the things that i did <laughs> Pat that.
0: yourself on the back there david
1: tell, tell us the <laughs> magic that
0: tell us the magic that happened there
1: okay so number one is the key to an email is it be, has to be short one of my philosophies is is that it should be it should be all readable in a preview pane you know in an email if it's longer than that people are going to gloss over busy people don't have time to read multi paragraph emails one paragraph with an action addressed at the end. So one element of the email, short. Second is I was able to find out from WeWork what the goal needed to be. I didn't just say for a good price. I went to WeWork and I said, what is the price that you need to get to in order to say yes? And they told me the price. So people don't like mystery novels. People wanna know exactly what they need to achieve or they don't wanna invest the time into by saying, we, we, we were acquired for 156 million, they would sell it for 30 million. We're actually bigger and better than we were beforehand. That was my message to say, say I already know how you could be successful. You just need to get to this $30 million number. So it made it a lot more believable and a lot more achievable to be able to do that. And the last part is I didn't ask them specifically, can you invest? Instead, I said, what advice do you have? And oh, by the way, Half of the people either pass me on to someone else, which is always a great outcome because then I get a referral. No one, no, nothing bad about that. And then half of me were like, oh, you know what? Actually, I would like to talk to you. So, and I did that methodology when I was looking for for a house. I never also bought a house that was ever on the market. My, my wife and I would leave notes on different people's houses. I talked about this in the book and basically say, hey, do you know a house on such and such street that that may be opening up And every time it's their own house. So, you know, that's another principle that I did was asking for advice as opposed to saying, like, you know, can you be the person that actually invests? Um, And I got dozens of meetings with some of the top companies and private equity firms with that kind of short message.
0: So cool. So much value there. Pause and hit rewind 30 seconds a few times and just go listen to that because that was so good. I just going to add one of this is David's advice. I'm adding on top of it just because it's right here. But like he also asked for. Uh, who else he should speak to after he had those conversations and, and multiplied the results that he got from that. So I, I love that you added that in the book. So yeah. oh, the man, most David, important
1: question that you could ask is who else should I speak to based on our conversation? And I always ask for, and then after they tell you a person, you, the next question to say is who else should I speak to based on this conversation? If every meeting could turn into two or three additional meetings, then well, you're going to be very busy, but you're also going to hopefully be busy doing good things. So,
0: so good. David, this has been a blast. I know we only have 10, 10 minutes left here and I want to be respectful. So there's two ways that we can go here uh, as a kind of a concluding story. I'll let you choose your, your adventure. We can either go down the path of tiny Delaware tests that turned out to be a disaster or purple hair. I'll let you, I'll let you choose where <laughs> oh, you want to God.
1: go. Well, this is a podcast that focuses on happiness and trying <laughs> to build happiness. I'm actually going to take um, but, B for five hundred, Alex. <laughs> <correct>. <laughs> All right, purple hair, hair it is. With the Please continue.
0: <laughs> Tell us about your your adventure in having purple hair.
1: <laughs> I love it. Okay, so you know I've led a very conventional life. I have. I got married at twenty four. I had my first kid at twenty six. Um, I come from a traditional religious background, and I'm, I'm religious today as well. And I think too often people. Um, govern their decisions and their life by how they're supposed to live as opposed to kind of what will really make them happy. And I've always been a happy person, but I've always had one thing in the back of my head just to say, F it all. I don't care. I'm just going to you shave off all my hair, head, or color my hair some really bright color and see what happens. Well, I had just had COVID and the worst thing for an extrovert like me or like you, Brandon, is to be stuck. And this was early days of COVID. It was it was you know when you had to isolate for 12 days even if you're feeling great didn't matter so stuck in my home by myself actually my, my son came and, and hung out with me as well because we thought he had And you know for 12 days and i was just climbing the walls when it finally happened and i had all these antibodies you know going through my body a friend of mine who also had covid and also was similarly going crazy decided where's the place in the united states where there is no covid well Florida (laughs) doesn't exist. (laughs) COVID doesn't exist in Miami. It was great. We flew (laughs) to Miami, which you know people do. And as I was leaving, I said to my wife, I said, "I said, Lara, I'm so traditional, but I am going to come back and and come back and with purple colored hair." And she's like just make sure that it's organic and not chemical because I don't want to get like chemical stuff in, in our, you in, know, in our bed. I'm like, fine, sure, no problem. So I was walking around, I was deciding whether to do it or not, I walked around and saw it in Miami. And there's a sign that said, organic hair coloring for men. I was like, oh my God, this is the dream. Like it called out to me. I literally wasn't even looking for a place. Walked in, um, did it, came out, and, you know, bright purple hair. I'll have to send you a picture, Brandon. Ed, let me know and I'll send you Please a picture do. after this. Just, and, um, and, and I remember I was walking around and that three minutes out, a guy who was on a bike called out to me, just screams out, love your hair. I was like, this is great. Now, what was cool is that at the time, I, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm working, I'm also wearing like a, a Jewish yarmulke on my head. And the combination of like purple hair and this traditional Jewish person was just so confusing for so many different people. It was, it was really a lot of fun. And I came home and like all the middle-aged men, you know, saw me and like, oh my God, I can't believe this. All the women called up my wife and said, and said like, I think David's going through a midlife crisis. I think he's finally lost it. I, I'm terribly totally worried about him. Now people ask, why did I do it? So the reason I did it is because it made me so happy. It made me so happy because the hundreds of people that saw it laughed and smiled and and there was just like a little bit of like fun, spontaneity energy that like I needed at that point of time in my life. That because of COVID and because of like the world that we were in, that I just needed to do something just completely unexpected and different. I remember, I count m- one of my first board meeting, and I'm like, you know, CEO of a well-known tech company, and I didn't tell my board members. I go in there and I have like this bright, cr- you know, cr- you know, crazy purple hair, and they're like, okay. So, so it was just it was just a way to, I would say, m- believe it or not, cause a lot of happiness, and that almost everyone who interacted with me. You know, thought to themselves, like, wow, if this guy could do this thing, then as a CEO of a company, like I could do whatever piercings, tattoos, anything else that I want. And it's just, let's not judge ourselves by kind of our external appearance, because there's just too much of that in life. Let's judge our judge, let's let's not judge generally, but if we're going to evaluate Let's evaluate based on like who the person really is and not just based on externality. So it was, it was a fun life experience.
0: I love that. And I I can only imagine it was a good lesson for you to not take yourself too seriously too. You know, it's like, I I took improv classes with my wife uh, a few months back now and it's just like, you realize sometimes how, how seriously you're taking yourself. And when you just kind of force yourself into those kinds of situations to just lay it late, you know, just be, be who you want to be and not be ashamed of it. It's uh, it opens up some incredible stuff. So yeah. I, Brandon, I love life
1: that. is too important to take it too seriously. That's
0: it. 100%. 100%. So let's conclude. Uh, let, let, there's one final thing that's kind of a shorter question. But I would love to ask you your perspective on this, because you were just talking about it. What is your definition of what happiness means to you, David? I, I know you kind of alluded to some stuff. but I would love to kind of hear your philosophies on on happiness.
1: Yeah, so I'm sure the same thing happens to you, Brandon, and that you look back when you were younger in high school or elementary school, and, and you did certain things in certain ways, and and you didn't know why you were doing them, but for some reason, there was something internally about you that, that did certain actions. You look back and you're like, huh, that was a different approach. So I recently went back and looked at my high school yearbook quote of 17 years old, graduating from high school, and here was my yearbook quote, Brandon. It said the following. Sometimes in our pursuit of happiness, it's important to pause and just be happy. And somehow I, I realized that because I went to a very high end, high pressured over half of my class went to Ivy League schools type of place. And I saw the rat race that everyone was on constantly to be able to succeed and to build a family and to build materialistic objects for themselves. And they would step back and they would never like take the step back. They would just constantly be in this race. And I said, I don't wanna be that kind of person. And, And I think my philosophy on happiness is simply that a lot of happiness can be achieved by not simply always focusing on the future, but find ways in which you can make yourself happy in the present, find ways in which the short term can be happy, and then ultimately great things will happen to you because you're in this good, happy place and everything and the lens that you look at things through will end up being more positive because you're in a good place don't like pursue happiness in the future and and, and 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 you know go through pain in order to achieve it ultimately there's the cliche stuff of like it's not about money and it really isn't but but the things that cause you happiness try to spend the vast majority of your time obviously immersed in them and don't don't wait do it now beautiful
0: oh man so the the final final question is where can people find out more we already talked about decide and conquer 44 decisions that will make or break all leaders. You can find that at Amazon or go check out the book site. Um, obviously would encourage anybody to go do a meetup, right? Like that's another takeaway is anybody can yeah. go Just and meet. some,
1: attend to an event. Go download the app, iOS or Android, find something. If you don't find it, like you with Spikeball, create that meetup group. And, you know, good things happen when people get together in person, and if you can't get together in person virtually because anything is better than than not connecting with people and connect, connections with people, whether in times of joy makes it better and in times of sorrow and challenges can help to overcome those as well.
0: Love that. So, so good. So, highly recommend everybody go attend the meetup. And I just want to have a really quick conversation with you listening right now. And I just want to say, you could be listening to any other podcast out there. You could be doing anything else, but you chose, you clicked on the episode with David. And man, you have been in for a treat. So, I'm so grateful to have you here. Whether you are a new friend or an old friend, the one thing that I ask of you is, you can absolutely change someone's life with this podcast, whether, whether it was just something that made you laugh today from David jumping in a closet and switching shirts or dyeing his hair purple or a decision making framework that can actually help you make more elegant decisions. This can change someone's life if you share it with them. So I would uh, highly appreciate it if you did that. But whether you choose to do that or not, I appreciate you for being here. And David, any final things that you want to say before we head off today?
1: You're a really good podcast host.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that, David. I mean it.
1: You did a great job. <laughs> Incredible research. I felt really comfortable. And uh, I've been on close to 50 podcasts, and you did an exceptional job. So you, yours really stands out.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, we'll talk to you very soon, my friend.